0: No purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Law
2: Talk Radio.
3: Thank you for tuning in to this special broadcast on ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. Today is Saturday, December 4th, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Terry Cullen. Terry Cullen is considered among the top experts in the world in the study and care of crocodilians and reptiles. Terry has worked with hundreds of species in his career, and his work has allowed us new and surprising glimpses into the actual lives and characters uh, many of heretofore misunderstood, mischaracterized animals. We do have a great show here for you this afternoon, and we invite our callers by uh, questions by either email directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com, with Law Talk Radio in the subject line, or please call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number, again, is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. We do have a couple of quick announcements before we get underway today. First, we want to let you know that the Collaborative Law Institute has a program coming up on January twenty fifth, 2011, from 2 to 5, with a reception following from 5 to 6, MCLE seminar at the Chicago Bar Association, located at 321 Plymouth Court, Chicago, Illinois. More information is available at chicagobar.org. The presentation is titled, Collaborative Law, Expanding Your Practice with This Limited Scope Model. The seminar will cover history, mechanics, ethics, and the shift in the communication style needed to practice in this new and developing area of conflict resolution. Discussions will cover the application of the collaborative practice model in family law and non-family law cases, and the necessary steps practitioners must take to retool their practices to provide collaborative practice options to clients. ALRPRA also announced on Monday, November 15th, that this coming January, 5th, classes start at the Law Practice Management School. This weekly online Law Practice Management Education program covers management, marketing, technology, and finance. For more information or to apply, please contact ALR PRA directly for more information. By way of disclaimer, these are general information programs, and the advice shared on our shows do not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests and among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney client or other professional relationships. If you have further questions, you're always con- encouraged to consult with an attorney or professional in your area. Finally, all co- callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, for today's show, Terry Collins will speak openly about the situation relating to the brutal seizure and of animals taken from his care. And we ask you to listen to Terry Collins' comments regarding this tragic series of events. And during the broadcast, our goal is to educate people about Terry Cullen's lifelong devotion uh, to research and conservation of species and their habitats. Again, we do have uh, uh, some callers on the line already. We want to uh, introduce Mr. Cullen and I want to first uh, ask in our first segment that Terry tell us a little bit about why he agreed to come on our show today. uh, Tell us a little bit about his experiences in conservation and just a little background for our first segment. So without further ado, I want to welcome Terry Cullen.
2: Thank you, Nick. Um, My reason for being on the show is relatively simple and straightforward, and uh, it surrounds the horrific circumstances uh, that uh, I and my associate have been subjected to uh, relating to an event that occurred on May. Well, we're told it started on May the 12th, uh, 2010. We're finding out that that's probably not uh, technically accurate. Uh, in a nutshell, Nick, uh, I've lost virtually everything. I've lost my reputation. I've lost my validity within my field. I've lost my family. I've lost uh, about all a man can lose. I've lost my home. Uh, I've been personally destroyed. Uh, this is something that we are now finding out is an agenda a situation, a uh, collusion on part of a number of agencies and people. And uh, I need to be out here to uh, try to set the record straight, to try to get the truth out uh, against all odds. Early on, uh, my attorneys did not let me respond or uh, go to the media. Uh, that has, to a certain extent, changed, although I will ask the listeners to uh, beg indulgence here that uh, there are certain things I cannot address or I may not be able to answer at the advice of the attorneys because of ongoing litigation.
3: Terry, can you tell us a little more specifically uh, what happened when you say your life was ruined? What exactly is is happening?
2: On May the 12th, 2010, uh, a facility that I own was broken into by the Milwaukee Police Department and other agencies. Um, My two dogs, who were Basically, my family were uh, brutally shot, and uh, um, it, it, it was a nightmare from word one. Uh, my, my associate Jane uh, had been made aware that they were trying to get in. She asked, uh, she pleaded with them, and begged to wait until she got there from her uh, work. Uh, at that point in time, that they simply disregarded that, uh, tore apart the building and uh, proceeded on a three or four day uh, hysterical holocaust, I guess is the best I can do. Uh, Hysterical, my word, and holocaust, uh, Nick's word. uh, Tearing apart various properties that I owned, of taking animals away and uh, utterly mischaracterizing what they found, what went on, and the reasons for things being there.
3: Okay, Terry. Well, we have a we do have a caller uh, on the line from a four one four area code caller. Do you want to go ahead and say hello today? Hello. Hello, caller. Go ahead. Hello. Hello, uh, you're you're on the line. You're on the air. Oh, hi. My name is Alex from
0: uh, Milwaukee.
3: Hi, Alex. Do you have a question or a comment?
0: Uh, I'm just commenting. I'm a a student of biology. I've known Terry for uh, four years. I was asked to call in just to give uh, some, you know, my my opinion of the things that have been going on, just to back up a little bit of what Terry's been saying.
3: Okay. Well, why don't you – do you want to go ahead and uh, make a comment now and just sort of give way of introduction here? Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us what you have to say?
0: Uh, I would just like to say that I've known Terry for four years. I've worked with him uh, in educational presentations, doing conservation work with uh, the Chinese alligator on a number of occasions. And when this happened in May, I was just absolutely shocked. I had no idea what to believe. Uh, This is someone I I had known well. I didn't want to assume he was guilty. I didn't want to assume he wasn't guilty. But from what I've learned now over this uh, previous summer And up until today, I have been absolutely just appalled by the injustice that's been taking place uh, in Milwaukee uh, and all over the the country, just based on what's happened with Terry. It's it's and I thank
3: you for writing.
0: Well, and and that's
3: the reason that we're on the show today. And I do thank you for your call. call, uh, And I ask you to uh, hang on the line um, as we go forward. Sure, sure. Um and but by, by the way, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you know tell tell well tell us a little bit more about well first I want to say the reason we're on the show today is to give Terry the opportunity to talk about his work, his research and his past, um, and to educate people who are misinformed of the facts. Um and while we have you on the air,
0: why don't we just ask you a few questions? Did you do you know, have you worked with
3: any of Terry's animals?
0: Yes, I've worked with Mushu the uh, Chinese alligator. Uh, whose whereabouts are now unknown. Uh, I have worked with, or I've seen large anacondas that were all in perfect conditions. They were just absolutely beyond textbook, you know, what you'd want, a perfect animal that's perfectly taken care of, perfect health. I've seen some absolutely stunning baby ball pythons. I've seen uh, newly hatched uh, baby crocodilians, some very critically endangered crocodilians that Terry has been, Breeding and raising for conservation efforts, all of which were just above and beyond the standard practice of care and health
3: did what what else did you, when you first came to know Terry cullen um, and you first started working with his animals what was the na- what was the nature of uh, of your work were you there as a student to uh, student to learn an education purpose
0: uh that that's what I was hoping to do um, I was I just started to know Terry through doing volunteer work. We would, I would volunteer with my animals, and I knew him because he would be volunteering with his animals around the Milwaukee area for like a reptile awareness day type thing. Uh, after a while, I started working directly with Terry, where we would do conservation talks, where you know I would be holding Mushu the Chinese alligator, and Terry would be uh, educating the public, whoever was or you know whatever crowded around us at the time. Trying to raise a little money to help the uh, conservation efforts in China, um, so that that was that would be the nature of of the work that I was doing. I was never able to actually work directly with Terry with a large number of animals, due to the fact that he was raided. His animals were taken from him. Most of them are now dead. Uh, it's just an absolute apocalyptic event, and uh, it's unfortunate. It's incredibly unfortunate for Terry, and I've also uh, been removed of some of the hopes and dreams that I had to learn more about animals through Terry so that that is also quite unfortunate.
3: Well, that is and I'm just going to leave us on speakerphone here so we can all have a conversation here. Terry, do you want to respond to some of his comments?
2: Uh my only response is uh thank you for your honesty. Um I uh one of the things that's always been incredibly important to me is mentoring. Uh far too little of that is done nowadays. Uh, when I was young, I was fortunate enough to have people who would allow an inquisitive little kid to come and sit in a laboratory and ask lots of silly questions. Um, most of these opportunities have been uh, pretty much taken away from people. Uh, the status quo in much of the professional world is one that has tended more and more toward elitism rather than sharing of information. Uh, that, in and unto itself, is a very dangerous trend, especially in the scientific field. Um, my uh, my hopes and dreams were always to set up a nationwide and uh, eventually a global mentoring program for people who were novices. Um, it uh, was something that I was working on with another group, uh, Zoological Association of America, and uh, also was uh, trying to establish it within the IUCN Crocodile Specialist Group, and uh, they were more than open to it. Um, most of these plans have now been truncated by this travesty of events that occurred.
3: We have another caller. We're going to take a caller from Florida, a uh, caller from Milwaukee. You're still on the line. Caller from Florida, go ahead. You're on Law Talk Radio with Terry Cullen and Nick Augustine.
1: Yes, I'm glad to be on with you. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I, I'm just calling. Uh, I'm a retired uh, zoo aquarium professional, executive director of zoo and aquariums, designed a number of those institutions over the last uh, nearly forty years, and have been a colleague of uh, Mr. Collins for have known about uh, uh, Terry Collins' work for many years, but been directly involved as a professional colleague in regular communications with Mr. Collins over the last decade or so, and and uh, I have come to understand what the, this this issue or number of issues that that, that have come up and. Uh, uh, as I heard Mr. Cullen just say, the travesty of events in the, in the earlier call the most recent one, and, and I believe it is a travesty that uh, that uh, I've known uh, Mr. Cullen to be a uh, world-renowned conservationist and animal husbander, and um, uh, committed his entire life to conservation and animal husbandry. And the mentoring process, in fact, even as an old man that I that I am, been in the profession. Uh, forty years I, I relied on mr Collin's expertise in uh, reptilian particularly reptilian uh, uh, diseases and medicine of which he has a great deal of experience and I would call mr Collins uh, regularly two or three four times a year to ask him questions about uh, as I was uh, ministering zoological parks and aquariums to ask him his opinion and his learned uh, experience uh, uh, having to do with uh, particularly reptilian Maladies and diseases, and always have uh, received uh, um, high-quality, professional, scientific, and meaningful information from from Mr. Cullen. Um, I was subpoenaed several months back to appear in court in Milwaukee concerning the some of the el, uh, animal um, abuse. if that's the right name charges against Mr. Cullen. And in my opinion, experienced opinion, I really saw no evidence. Through photographs as well as inspecting uh, facilities that were ransacked, but even in the ransacked state, and having been in this profession uh, 45 years, I could certainly see no evidence of any uh, mistreatment of, of any animals, and the longevity records which Mr. Cullen had with anacondas and some small mammals, et cetera, far exceeded those in many, uh, if not all, of our zoological parks. So. I think many people will consider Mr. Cullen to be a top-notch professional animal husbander and a go-to guy for uh, for animal medicine questions and conservation. And, and as I just heard, the mentoring program. He has spent his life with uh, conservation education endeavors, as as have I.
3: Now, and I I thank you so much and appreciate your comments, and I'll just be quite frank and say what I understand to be happening here. Um, What I understand to be happening, and and when I first met with with Terry Cullen, he gave me many examples. We we met for several hours, and he shared uh, stories uh, with me about different uh, species and the different uh, levels of care and the amount of, time that he's put into research of some of the species, um, it would be, it's, almost, it's very, very difficult for anyone to match that level of expertise. And what I see here is a group of individuals who just flat out got it wrong, didn't do their homework, didn't do their research, and like I said, got it wrong. And when you have um, some individuals and associations uh, on a witch hunt, so to speak, who want to take out uh, one, of their, one of their own or someone who they don't think plays nice... Uh, it's it's very easy to go and uh, make bogus charges and bogus accusations that the professional the professionals and law enforcement um, and, and even our courts are ill-equipped to deal with this because you know I, I try to ask lawyers and judges don't have the expertise uh, they're relying on on the witness uh, the witness you know Mr. Cullen they're relying on on people like people like yourself uh, and others who do have a superior level of knowledge here. And there's a serious problem where, again, the powers that be simply don't understand and they can only use the Pavlovian response um, to what they normally think of as, within animal care. Uh, most people think of animal care uh, with their dog or their cat, uh, and that's their level of knowledge. They are completely ignorant of anything regarding, you know, certain, certain species. Could we talk a little bit more about some of, the, uh, some of those examples?
1: Well I Jerry think we can. and I and I think you've uh, you know hit hit the nail on the head certainly and in in, in my opinion, my observation and my understanding and knowledge of the situation is that the that the animal abuse and the criminality is on the prosecutor's prosecutor side. Uh that I think it was it seems to me, it looks to me uh, having some exposure to it and certainly years of exposure to Mr. Cullen's expertise as uh, as just as you you said in short term it's simply a setup to destroy a uh, a person and his program for you know speculate on what the reasons are but uh it, um, it certainly um, uh, uh, certainly the animals suffered were were in proper care for decades and then within months were either dead or or close to it due to uh the uh, lack of knowledge and lack of, uh, lack of expertise and lack of caring on the prosecutorial, the government side.
3: Well, and, that's, and that's why I'm personally, and these are my words, I'm the one who's calling this a holocaust. I'm the first one who said that, and I'm going to continue to say that because I think that's what happened. You had all these animals who are in Terry's care, animals that were deposited from different, uh, different people who were either unwilling or unable to rehabilitate and care for those animals uh, and trusted them with an individual who put his life's effort into the rehabilitation and conver- conservation of certain species and, and, again, like you say, authorities come in, take the animals out, put them in improper care. And all these animals, how many animals have been lost or as a result of what I'm now calling a holocaust uh, on the hands of the Milwaukee Police Department? And, again, uh, if for the prosecution or a judge, you would almost need to hire someone like Terry Cullen, who is an expert, to even talk about or get into these
1: matters well exactly and and my experience in the in the in the court there in Milwaukee was was a travesty in that the expert opinions on the side that was going to testify not on behalf of Mr. Cullen but on behalf of the animals was disallowed in testimony we several experts traveled because we thought it knew it was the right thing to do. Uh, for the benefit of the animals, to make sure they, as rapidly as possible, went to an institution or individuals, be they institutional or, or, or so-called private, that had the expertise and the facilities and the commitment and the will to maintain the animals. And uh, we had no opportunity at all to express those. We were we were just disallowed to participate. We just sat in the outer, in the outer, chamber and, and listened to um, appalling. Uh, Comments and and my. I'm no attorney, but uh, and I'm no uh, 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 a judge. I'm not an expert in the legal system, but I'm not a dumb guy. And I, I was appalled by what I saw in that courtroom in the in the two or two and a half hours I was there.
2: One of one of the things we haven't discussed is the participation of the media in this, and um, very early on, especially one particular. Uh, media source from the Milwaukee area, uh, did a lot more than just buy into this. They, uh, they created a hysterical situation um, by nature of out-and-out lies, misinformation, mischaracterizations uh, using inappropriate sources to not doing actual research and uh, listed themselves as partnering with the Milwaukee Police Department to bring me to justice. Um, it was a horrific feeling for me. I've never been in trouble in my life. Uh, for any of the listeners out there, uh, if any of you have ever gotten a uh, traffic ticket, you have experienced the level of trouble that I have been in in my lifetime. I've I've only had a traffic ticket in my life or several traffic tickets, never been involved in anything else. Um, that's it. That's That's simply it. Uh, I have given virtually everything I've ever earned to conservation, uh, put my life into it. Uh, the set of circumstances that occurred at uh, the one property that they broke into first, uh, just to clarify that, <clears throat> I had had to move a very large number of animals from one facility to another facility in midwinter. I had to make that move as short as possible. I ended up moving these animals because of mechanical failures in another building. And uh, those animals had to be put the only place I had to go with them, which was a building that was uh, no longer, for the most part, no longer used by by me or the Conservancy. This was meant to be a temporary move. Um, I already had uh, plans, vehicles, you name it, set up for getting these animals uh, down to our Florida facility and or rehousing them. Uh, I purchased over $14,000 in new caging. Uh, none of this, by the way, is ever ever gets mentioned because they didn't even know what they were looking at when they broke into these places. Um, another, I think, very germane point is for years and years and years, our organization was the one that everyone went to when they had an animal that was no longer fit for exhibit, when you had animals that were suffering from lead poisoning, when you had animals that were suffering from severe inanition. Uh, when you had animals that uh, people, as Nick rightly said, could no longer or were not willing to keep any longer, Uh, we always gave those animals homes, no matter how deformed they might have been, and many of them were, Uh, no matter how difficult a road it was going to be to try and bring them back to health. And in any number of cases, these were animals that I uh, took from the brink of death and, uh, all modesty aside, got them into breeding condition over a number of years. And especially with crocodilians, it's extremely difficult. They're very sensitive animals. If anybody wants to to challenge that, uh, talk to the true professionals with the crocodile specialist group or anyone who has worked extensively and paid attention to their crocodilians. uh, You don't abuse crocodilians for any length of time because they simply will die. The number one cause of death in crocodilians is stress. That stress is brought about by many different things.
3: Let's take a – and before we – I'd like to go on and talk a little bit more about the education and some of the research here. But, again, uh, for those of you who are listening, and we are skipping our commercials today. We normally pause for commercial breaks, but we're just going to keep going through here uh, because there's a very – a lot of information. We want to bring it to a forefront for the benefit of people who are listening to this program after it's broadcast. And, we, again, we do appreciate those who share – the links, we have a permanent link to this broadcast after it's complete, and that can be shared using social media and other resources, including newsletters, emails, and put on websites, and we're working on uh, getting a platform for communication for this cause, and one of the reasons that we felt so strongly about doing this show, and the reason that I asked Terry to be on the show today, was that there are groups out there, uh, such as the Animal Legal Defense Fund, who have a call to action on their website that says, They talk about reports, reports of wrongdoing, reports of misconduct, but then on their site they have a call to action to support the prosecution of Terry Cullen. I communicated with them and asked them to take that down off their site and indicated it was inappropriate for them to ask people to participate in the prosecution of an individual where they don't even have the facts. They haven't seen anything Uh, so again we're trying to shift the tide here and let people know giving people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they were ignorant as to the facts we're giving people who again may have had the benefit of the doubt we're giving them a very diplomatic opportunity to get behind this effort to correct the misunderstandings of several people out there who just rely on what is in the media and, without going into too many details, uh, the media in Milwaukee handled this all wrong. Um, they had people who were you know for lack of a better explanation, hiding in the bushes and making things up so uh, that's something that we'll talk about more later but again our our goal today is to get across um, that Terry Cullen is a very misunderstood individual here because he spent his life 's research in these uh, you know in this area and and more, and people just don't understand. So uh, let's go into a little bit more on the conservation efforts. And Terry, let me ask you how you first got into conservation and how you got to the point where you had your own conservatory.
2: Um, first of all, I want to clear up a, a misconception. I don't consider myself an expert. I never have. I uh, consider myself a student, um, and I will be a lifelong student. And I think there's a very dangerous uh, line that you cross when you consider yourself an expert. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, who I consider to be a very august researcher, uh, often says that as soon as you find yourself uh, regarding yourself as an expert it 's time to find a new vocation uh, a little bit tongue in cheek but there's a great deal to be said for that. I think it 's very germane to this particular situation. Um, I started probably as as soon as I could identify animals i was uh uh, I can remember being five years old and being tremendously fascinated by various organisms. And uh, at that time, trying to read everything I could, I started reading at a, a rather early age and continued on to become a full-fledged bibliophile. Um, ironically, the press has characterized me in many instances uh, as a barely literate, uh, demented hobbyist or animal hoarder. Uh, I certainly take umbrage with the part about. Uh, Hoarder, and uh, the barely literate part, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you make your own decision regarding that, uh, based on whatever you wish to to speak to me about or hear from me. The uh, animal hoarder is just absolute nonsense. Um, the demented portion, well, maybe I am because I'm in this situation now.
1: Yeah, your
3: lawyer wouldn't want you to say that, don't
2: it?
4: <laughs> I am, I am
3: being tongue in cheek
2: when I say that, uh, but. Uh, I guess if, I, if you want to accuse me of anything, it would be being naive. Uh, I, I have not had a chance of, um, until this point to say one very important thing. I am not guilty of any of the charges that have been proffered at me. I am simply not guilty. Um, this is a construct, uh, a case of many things, knee-jerk reactions, something that I always refer to as reality by repetition, which we see in the media and even in the field of science over and over and over again. Someone decides it will be so, they repeat it often enough, and it becomes reality. Two and two don't necessarily make four anymore. Uh, In many cases, two and two now make five or six, depending upon what spin people want to put on it. Reality just doesn't seem to take precedence the way it used to. Uh, Back in the days when they would teach things like logic as the basis for science, um, most schools, by the way, barely offer the, uh, the, the philosophical portions of science philosophy and logic of course being the basis for for virtually all scientific study or endeavor. Um, Beyond that, um, jumping back to what I started to do by the time I was 15 years of age, uh, I was already doing uh, what would be called reasonable scientific work, uh, working in the Caribbean with the uh, genus Cyclura, the uh, rock iguanas as they are commonly called. Um, I, I prefer another vernacular for them, but that's another story. Uh, The status of what I did and how I did it over the years is is very lengthy. It's, It's more than we need to go into here, but suffice it to say that, in fact, I did other things to generate resources and put virtually all of those resources into conservation and into work with animals that I hoped was benefiting our incredibly beleaguered environment and the animals that lived within. Another exceedingly important point here is that we are losing our connection with the wild world and the animals and our organisms within it. And this is at the hands of many different people and groups, some of them very well-meaning, but they are in fact disconnecting us. And this fundamental disconnect is something we can ill afford, especially at this time in man's existence when he has done so much ecological damage in so many different ways.
3: Harry, can you tell me a little bit about one of the uh, mischaracterized or misunderstood animals i believe it was the cuban crocodile um can you tell us a little bit about that mr,
1: mr. augustine go
3: ahead yeah. yes go ahead
1: yes yeah. uh this is uh, uh Doug again i i'm i'm traveling and and uh i'm going to uh need to sign off if uh, if i might um and um and uh so um, if there are any other questions I'm sorry to interrupt you in the train of thought but I, oh no uh, that's fine if, if, that you, you know what, what go. and I, I, I just want to in, in my comments for what they're worth by agreeing with Mr. Cullen about what he certainly is saying and about you, your interpretation and to sum it up what I've experienced as a professional over the last uh, 40 years but certainly in the last decade uh, we are disconnected from nature and we're we, we we have a societal uh, knee-jerk reaction, whether it's based uh, on duplicity or ignorance, the end results are the same, and and we're we, we're being driven uh, by by grand often by grandstanding uh, politicians, uh, uh, agenda-driven special interest groups, uh, self-serving conservationists and scientists and and. Uh, uh, Hyper sensational media and all those things come together to make a perfect storm to entrap um, circumstances as well as individuals uh, as as uh, like the ones we're talking about today. And you're to be uh, admired and, and and encouraged for your uh, for your courage in in bringing out try to bring out the uh, the facts of these of these uh, circumstances and uh, in, and in support of real conservation and. What I'm going to call real conservation, a real science, and a real understanding of of the natural world, and those of us that are in this uh, profession to uh, uh, to educate and to uh, conserve uh, our world's uh, resources, both in our backyards uh, and uh, and in every wild for every wild thing and in every wild place. So, with with that bit of uh, of comment, I'll, I'll, I'll sign off. And uh, if there's anything uh, otherwise I could be of help, please uh, please uh, let me know. I think Mr. Cullen would know how to, uh, to uh, contact me in that regard.
3: Well, Doug, thank you very much for calling in. And we will be in touch offline. Um, again, we're trying to gather people in a movement of support. So uh, every every contribution is certainly beneficial and valuable. And we thank you for your valuable time in calling in. I'd like well, to, uh, can I can I ask our caller, are, are you still there?
0: Yes.
1: Yes.
3: Uh, yep. uh,
2: one of the things that keeps being brought up, uh, well, if this, you know, if, if what Terry Cullen is saying is so, then how come we had people who are uh, wardens and who are zoo professionals coming out against him um, and uh, in many cases, uh strongly and uh ironically these were people who'd never met me before in almost
1: each, each
2: uh, case well, or each it, scenario
1: well it's 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 uh you know anecdotal speculative i suppose on my part, but after as i say forty five years in the in the profession and and uh And uh, and and at approaching a ripe old age, uh, it's become obvious many years ago. There there are lots of um, of ulterior motives and uh, um, uh, envy and and, and jealousies, et cetera, that I think uh, permeate most, if not all, uh, human endeavors, and particularly uh, specialty groups. and And I would say that the wildlife conservation Profession at at all levels, whether it's a governmental, state, or federal, or private uh, groups of uh, uh, or, or zoological parks or aquariums, any of the institutions and organizations, I think, are permeated with um, uh, with these kinds of, of petty um, uh, jealousies and, and concerns. And uh, I, I think I think the wildlife conservation uh, profession is rampant with that and. And I, I've, I've seen it for decades. And uh, if if someone doesn't feel like they're getting uh, that someone is getting more credit than than they are, uh, the human nature kicks in, and they they want to they want to take away from that uh, uh, from that progress. I I, I, I guess I, I don't know if I've stated that very well, but uh, but but I think there there are folks that uh, would see uh, activities and programs such as yours. Um, um, uh, that that were exceeding the the um, the um, performance of 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 others of other institutions and possibly they were not happy with that. I, you know, well, I've we can again. only
3: we can only speculate as to people's intent for why they would do such exactly. things. But I thank you again so much for your comment. We have another caller a caller who just called in. Go ahead. Hello. Hello.
5: Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I'm a, a colleague of Terry's in Florida, and uh, I'm just calling in in support of him. And would um, note a couple of things about Terry. Uh, he's not just a crocodilian expert. I really consider him a biologist. Um, he knows uh, um, a great deal of. Uh, has a great deal of knowledge about conservation issues not just with crocodilian species but with many species he's uh he is extremely respected in florida uh, in particular and this is a state where we have many croc folks or people that maintain crocodilians and uh, frequently when there are issues regarding husbandry um, building enclosures and in particular capturing and transporting crocodilians Terry is one of the first people that would be called.
3: What, can you? By the way, can you speak up a little bit? We're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Um, what was your reaction when you first heard that many of uh, Terry Cullen's animals had been seized?
5: Well, I was really concerned because I knew he has a large collection of animals. And um, from everything that we were reading in the press, it didn't appear to me that Uh, the authorities in Milwaukee (coughs) retained the uh, uh, expertise that they really needed to not only identify the crocodilians that they were going to be seizing, but uh, the snakes as well. I don't think they realized what they were getting themselves into. And um, from everything that I've read in the press and from talking to Terry even today, Uh, They retained zoo experts and people that had backgrounds with reptiles, but they really didn't retain the expertise of somebody who had significant experience with crocodilians. And uh, I think that was a huge problem with the number of animals that they encountered. Um, I don't even know today if they were able to properly identify all of the specimens that were captured. But um, uh, the the second problem that, uh, that I've seen from the press is that Uh, They really didn't have adequate facilities to house the animals that they were seizing. I understand that uh, many of these animals were transported to a garage, uh, and for the first week or maybe 10 days, the garage was not heated, and if we look at the time frame, uh, being in Milwaukee back in May, the early part of May, the nighttime temperatures were still very cool. The animals were not being kept in water. Uh, somebody was apparently advising them that crocodilians could survive just fine in dry conditions. And, you know, while that's true for a period of time, a limited period of time, uh, it's certainly not an ideal situation to set up animals over an extended period, and that's what this turned into. So I was really horrified, uh, as Terry was, to hear about what was happening uh, and what we anticipated was happening with these animals.
3: Now, I have a question. Have you ever personally seen any of uh, Terry's animals and the facilities, the animal facilities.
5: I have. Uh, I've been. I've known Terry for it's, it's close to 20 years now. I've been to his facility in Florida on numerous occasions. I have personally seen him work animals, um, and I'm familiar with a lot of the techniques that Terry has developed. Uh, really groundbreaking techniques. Um, I tell people that don't know Terry uh, well, but uh, certainly most folks down here that work with animals know him by reputation before any of this occurred. Uh, He's a bit of an animal whisperer. Uh, Everybody likes the Dog Whisperer TV show, Cesar, that's on National Geographic these days. Uh, I liken Terry to that sort of person uh, with regard to crocodilians. And that is he has the ability to almost crawl inside these animals um, and try to figure out what makes them tick uh, to an extent that very, very few people are able to do that, and consequently, he's come up with techniques and and handling procedures with these animals, and he's able to do things with large crocodilians that nobody else can do. And that's why I said earlier, when when folks oftentimes need to transport a large crocodilian, uh, I know many times in the past, Terry has been uh, asked to help out and not just help, but actually plan and supervise. Uh, the the capture, the safe capture, and transportation of the animal. He really has almost an, an innate ability to, uh, to work with these animals.
3: Um, as far as some of the things that you saw in new techniques developed, can you give us any examples of those?
5: Um, I know you were starting to talk about Cuban crocodiles a few moments ago. Uh, an animal that I think you could probably go to many uh, zoo curators across the country and, and private individuals that maintain Cuban crocodiles, and they'll tell you that uh, because of the reputation that these animals have, that uh, they're tantamount to velociraptors, today's velociraptors, and I think Terry has, has shown that that's really not the case. The, uh, the Cuban crocodile is no doubt an extremely intelligent animal, but many of the crocodilians are. Uh, but it's an animal that has a tremendous response to food, and uh, I think Terry's really the first individual that recognized that, and it's not a particularly dangerous animal once you uh, once you figure that out and you learn how to work the animal. I've seen Terry do things with uh, Cuban Crocs that I really, if I hadn't witnessed it firsthand, I wouldn't have believed it, it, it could happen. Uh, and I know that his techniques have sort of been taken on by others, like uh, Flavio Maracy down here in Florida, and, and uh, uh, Flavio uh, also began training Cuban crocodiles. But you know, really, most of that that work really began with Terry many years ago, and uh, and it continues to today. Uh,
2: a, a point of irony here is uh, I, I, I hate to go this direction at this point, but the Aza was uh, intimately involved in the. Uh, in this this whole procedure that uh, was done against me. And yet I worked hand-in-hand with the Aza for a long period of time. I was on their crocodile advisory group. Um, I was the one who founded the very first uh, program for collecting funds for conservation for reptiles and especially crocodilians. Uh, They didn't even have anything in place. They didn't even have a bank account. And I uh, started it out by donating a check that... uh, I'd gotten from doing a TV show, so that we would have a, a, some seed money for this fund. Uh, also, the probably the most touted management school—they offer various management schools with the AZA, and the one that is touted the most uh, is the uh, Crocodilian School. And uh, caller, I—I uh, I happen to know that you went to that Crocodilian School. Am I correct?
5: Yes, yeah, that's correct. Uh,
2: did they ever tell you who founded that school or who conceptualized it? Uh,
5: actually, they did. And it was uh, Terry Collins' idea, Terry's and, uh
2: Actually, in my living room, came up at one point in time, and I felt we needed to do something like this. Uh, again, I'm not trying to sit here polishing my own hood, but uh, it's it's just so incredibly sad to me that... What has come out of this is a picture of me that is the antithesis of who and what I really am. It is one of the most hurtful things that has ever occurred to me in my life on almost every level. Um, I, you know, the animals that I love, I watch being destroyed at the hands of people who think that they're doing right or doing well or doing good. Uh, Nick had mentioned something a little bit earlier with regard to a group uh, uh, animal defense or Animal Defense League, they sent uh, letters around to curators and zoo directors. And the response to those letters was fairly immediate. And we had zoos come and take animals from us based on those letters. Uh, To show you what result that kind of knee-jerk thing can have, the only regularly breeding pair of Mechastops cataphractus, that would be the African slender-stounded crocodile, in the new world, that The only pair was split up by by their efforts. A zoo came and and took away the female, and that was that that animal by the way was the oldest crocodilian uh in terms of reproductive uh, records that we have anywhere. She was somewhere around eighty three or eighty four years of age and still reproducing successfully. She had stopped reproducing at the uh facility that she had been at and uh this this is terrible this is a this is a terrible thing. They took a number of other animals, Uh, uh the, the only place that the Themistemas seemed to flourish the way they were flourishing uh, were areas where they had some privacy. Our facility is not open to the public. Uh, you don't have people throwing nickels, dimes, and plastic bottles at them. You don't have 10,000 people filing, filing by each day. And I'm not trying to uh, in any way excoriate the zoos, but by the same token, for them to be uh, suddenly jumping on board and uh, turning on me the way they did was just it was appalling. It was, these, these were people who knew better. They knew me. Not one of the people who I considered my colleagues from the zoos ever called me to ask me what actually happened. I was amazed at this. They, they somehow either simply bought into the media hype that went on or ran in fear, as many of the zoo people do these days, of the retribution from animal rights groups and uh, the AZA and so forth. Now, don't get me wrong, animal rights groups have their place, Uh, I have fought for the rights of animals on many levels and in many ways, but you have to be pragmatic when it comes to animals, and we have to understand that man has relationships with these animals that date back to his very inception. These relationships are often complex. Uh, There's a book out there these days that tries to address this, although I'm not terribly fond of the book, but the title is is very telling. Um, Animals, Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat. Uh, gentleman who uh, works in both, uh, I guess you would say, biology and psychology, but uh, the, the title sort of says it all. And we have to we have to understand that our intermingling with the animals of this planet is a complex thing and has to remain so. We cannot simplify it by simply disconnecting ourselves from animals and saying that we shouldn't be around them, we shouldn't have them, we shouldn't do this with them. Much of what we have learned about animals that we can now apply to conservation has come from captive situations, at zoos, at various facilities, at our own conservancy.
3: What my comment, uh, to Terry's comment, is uh, there's a problem, I think, in our society with education. I'm going to use the example of uh, the boards of education for schools. The boards of education are charged with putting together the curriculum to teach our students, and many boards of education around the country are staffed and filled with members who are not educators, who are rather doctors, lawyers, dentists, or other professionals in the community, and it's a political position to be serving on the Board of, the board of Education. Uh, who wouldn't want to be on the Board of Education? But the problem I have is the people on the Board of Education are setting a curriculum based on standards other than from the pure vocation of an educator's position. And that is what I see happening also with some of these groups out there. The Animal Legal Defense Fund, for example, I don't know their actual structure. It's something I'll be getting into. Um, but, you know, the animal zoo- The AZA, um, what does that stand for, Animal Zoological? No, it's the uh, Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Okay. Well, the problem that I see is when, and, and people are informing me as I'm doing my research and due diligence, that not all the individuals who are running these groups are wildlife conservationists or animal professionals. Terry, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, years ago,
2: and uh, I think our our caller would probably concur with this, although I'd like his take on it as well, uh, because I know that he has, uh, for many, many years, uh, been a a student himself of the the zoos and how they operate and so on. Um, Many years ago, when I was very young, you became a volunteer at a zoo. Then you became a keeper. Then you could become a senior keeper. Then you could end up as a curator and eventually a general curator, which is a pretty high-ranking individual at a zoo. From there, you would go to an assistant directorship and eventually become the director if you had the right stuff. But you're an animal person. Uh, Today, a very, very, very large proportion of the directors at zoos are not animal people. Uh, They come from private business. And uh, the bottom line is, in many cases, you have institutions that are masquerading as conservation organizations when, in fact, they're entertainment facilities with a great deal more concern for how many cotton candies they can sell in that year's time. Obviously, the zoos have to be able to support themselves, as with anything else in a capitalistic situation. Uh, they've got to be able to generate money. They've got to be able to survive that way. But uh, they, in, in so many instances, it's it's like the, the kettle calling the pot black, where they they, they will turn around and vilify uh private individuals or, or uh institutions that do not belong to their group uh based on nothing more than uh lack of knowledge and uh as our other caller was saying earlier uh sometimes envy yeah caller do you have a comment on
3: that
5: um i really i don't have a significant comment but uh i would say that there is no doubt um more business expertise infiltrating zoos, I think, in our country today out of necessity. And the reason for that is um, funding, as Terry touched on, um, it, it's not enough to build a zoo and they will come and it will float uh, in the black. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there are not a great deal of public dollars available to many zoological parks, and uh, uh, they've had to turn to Uh, generating funds through fundraising initiatives and uh, developing donor relationships. And uh, that has taken some of the upper echelon focus probably uh, away from the daily animal care. But uh, I still think that the majority of uh, certainly major zoos in the country retain animal expertise at the general curator level. But it's a different environment than what we saw in the 1960s and 1970s, there's no doubt.
3: Yeah, and one of the things that I, I, when I first met Terry, I told Terry that I thought that he had a responsibility to the wildlife and scientific community to stand up and tell his story and set the record straight on some of his efforts and um, to encourage education of children. Um, Again, as we look to generations who are are coming behind us, um, you'd like to ideally see the, the level of research that's gone on with some of the uh, individual uh, species, such as the Cuban crocodile and the Chinese alligators, uh, to continue this research. So, Terry, I ask you uh, your comments on educating um, education generally, educating children. What are some efforts you have done? What are some efforts that need to be continued?
2: Uh, I think, first of all, we have to realize there is a dearth of education in this day and age. It just uh, isn't happening the way it used to. Uh, One thing that I have said over and over again, and this is a quote from me, uh, education, not legislation, is the answer to our environmental problems or challenges. And uh, we continually try to legislate things, and it doesn't work. And the next thing you hear is, we need a new law. We need a new law. The laws become nothing more than a bizarre encumbrance Uh, and I know this is law radio, but uh, one, of my, one of my favorite people was a gentleman who lived a long time ago, who was an orator and legislator, Marcus Tullius Cicero. And to quote him, the more laws, the less justice. Um, it has never been more true than today. This, this is a situation where we have Gordian complexity within the legal system that has made it uh, chaotic And it has made it, uh, from my observation at least, and I'm not a lawyer and I I, I claim ignorance uh, and and thankfully so in many cases to to many of the machinations of of the legal system, but it's almost to a point where it just doesn't work properly. Uh, I'm certainly experiencing much of that. And uh, I I don't know. Education is absolutely the primary thing we need to focus on if we're going to save ourselves, much less the rest of the world. We are all part of this integrated concept that we call the earth. And uh, we've we've already done significant damage uh, to our environment in many, many ways. And, uh, you know, it's it's a question of stepping back from being politically correct and start being honest and start telling the truth and having that truth accepted. We just don't see anyone out there. Uh, in, In the 1960s, we had people talking about human overpopulation, when, ironically, our population of the planet was much lower than it is now. Now, when the, when the population is much higher, our resources are going away rapidly. Um, we have people not wanting to ever even address this. I was, uh, I was roundly criticized for addressing this at one point in time in a, a lecture I was giving. But uh, I'm, I'm not trying to sit there and, and give people religious direction or family planning. I'm trying to show them a bigger picture which is that we have put this planet at incredible risk. And with that, ourselves, if you truly care about human beings, you have to understand that we are, in fact, part of a very complex web.
3: Well, and the balance um, with...
4: Hello? Go
3: ahead. Go ahead, caller. Go ahead.
4: Hi, this is Malini Bayana, and I have been listening with great intrigue and interest. I am a lawyer, um, and I appreciate everything that... Uh, is being said today, I share the sentiments about laws and legislation. I share the sentiments about educating our children, starting at the grassroots. And I have a little boy who is fascinated by wildlife. And we had occasion to, uh, several years ago, visit the Everglades uh, during a Christmas season with my family. (laughs) We were just... um, well, I'd say we were fascinated by the, cro- the crocodiles that we saw—the baby crocodiles, the larger ones—and on some level, fearful, <laughs> um, just because of some of the things that the uh, bus driver had shared with us about not going too close to the to the swamps and, and being a little cautious. I will tell you, there's the media—they will grab a salacious story and run with it. It, it can be very irresponsible. And I have made a point of making sure my son watches, you know, things like Discovery Channel and learning about um God's plan and God's purpose in terms of, you know, all the wildlife out there that many times again fear mongering people or groups can um can hurt and harm for whatever reasons, um, intentionally, unintentionally, and sometimes with good intentions. And I'll share another story with you. When I was in India over the summer, I walked into a, a residential home that I was temporarily leasing, and this was over, um, I think it was in May, and I found a dead bat in my room. Now we think of vampires and bats, and you know everybody's scared of bats. And when I had shared this over the phone with my son, he said, Ew, scary, oh no. And, and I said, you know what, they just actually bats serve a very important purpose because recently in New York there was some disease that had uh, infected bats and bats were dying off, and then they had a problem with mosquitoes because bats actually eat mosquitoes and control the mosquito population. (laughs) So you have, you know, this large city now infested with mosquitoes and little things like that, um, you know, to not allow our children and future generations to be fearful to educate them, to to understand that they can have good purposes. And, and as um, was said, part of the web of this this ecosystem of ours that, you know, supports human race as well. <laughs> so that's all I wanted to say.
3: Molly, thank you so much for your comments. Terry, do you have a response?
2: I, I do. And I think that uh, that is the sort of thing that we need to do so much more often. Um, when I am talking to school children of all ages, one of the first things that I do is I will hold up pictures of various animals. And I'll hold up a picture of a bunny and a dog, and I'll hold up a picture of a snake, and I'll hold up a picture of a black widow spider, and so on. And uh, I'll let the kids choose. I'll say, okay, which ones are the good animals and which ones are the bad animals? And invariably, they will go to Uh, you know, the spider or the snake as being a bad animal and the the bunny or the monkey is is a good animal. Uh, At which point it opens the door for me to say, but you're all wrong. There's no such thing as a good animal or a bad animal. They're simply animals, animals that have developed to do particular things, to live in a particular way. Uh, You know, the professionals will call it exploiting a particular niche. Uh, But in reality, this is something that children really need to understand. There isn't a bad animal on the planet as much as we may absolutely be disgusted by ticks or mosquitoes, they're part of this big chain that we live in. Uh, is it wrong for us to protect ourselves against uh, things like uh, tick-borne illness or other zoonotic diseases or, or transfer diseases? Uh, no, no, I, that's part of our survival. That's that's what we're doing. But by the same token, we need to make uh, our children and everyone understand that these animals are part of this greater complex web, and our very survival, our own very survival, depends upon understanding and allowing these animals, understanding these animals and allowing these animals to survive. And one of the things I've said over and over again is, isn't the ultimate right of an animal species its continued survival on the planet? We get so caught up on on, on individual animals, we lose sight of that sometimes. And someone will have a, you know a horrific story about Uh, a person who has mistreated uh, a pet fox or whatever it might be. Uh, Yes, this is something that we need to deal with, but by no means at the expense of the rest of the foxes in the world because now you've uh, passed legislation that keeps people from working with foxes.
3: It's a big problem, and I want to finish the show out today by suggesting that there is a lot of work to be done in communicating and broadcasting a message to people that sometimes law enforcement gets it wrong. Sometimes the media gets it wrong. Sometimes people are misunderstood. In this case, Terry Collins' work with his conservancy and research with these animals is largely misunderstood by the powers at hand. And Mr. Collins' future, his liberty, his life is in the hands of these individuals who are ignorant as to the animals that were in Mr. Collins' care. Uh, Terry, what, what do, we, what, do you have any thoughts on uh, how we best can communicate and, and turn the tides? I wish
2: I did. Uh, I will say to the listeners that I am facing life in prison for crimes I never committed. I have never been in a situation like this. It's the most frightening thing you can imagine. And as I said at the outset of the show, I've lost virtually everything I've ever had on all levels. Uh, things I love, people uh, who I who I cared about who can no longer even be around me because of some of the charges uh, that have been leveled at me. Um it's 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 a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. I I can only continue to do things like appear on this program and hopefully other uh, media events, true media events, not the hype. Uh, one of the things that our, our caller uh, mentioned was spurious news, and uh, it is just rampant these days. People have little regard for the truth. They just want to hear the sensationalism. And even on the animal planet and in discovery programs, it's the most vicious this and the most venomous that. Those are terrible things to be teaching people. Instead of teaching people moderation and understanding, what we're doing is sensationalizing things. The worst part about this and the most ironic part for me is that if we told the truth about the animals, there are so many things that are more fantastic than what they are trying to convince us of. That the real truth, if you if you start putting that so, the fact that crocodilian brains, one of the things that I was working with and have been working with, with glial cells on the exterior of that brain in most animals, uh, those are feeder cells. We find out that in crocodilians and probably other reptiles, these cells are acting as director cells where they're harnessing various groups of cells together to provide greater intellect with a much smaller brain mass. Uh, these are tremendous things. They have uh, significant capacity to enhance man and uh, enhance man's survivability in things like Alzheimer's. Um, There are many, many other areas of of research uh, where we're learning more about the animals and offshoots of it can benefit us on many levels. Uh, One other, just to to throw it out there, the dermorphins, which are uh, substances found in amphibian skin, uh, some of them are up to 700 times more potent at relieving pain than morphine and yet very, very little addiction is involved. Think of that for the cancer patient or someone who's going through uh, a burn uh, rehabilitation or something like that. These, These are incredible parts of the animal world. And rather than telling us how vicious this is or how terrible that is, let's look at these things for the magnificent organisms that they are. And let's look at this as how can we as custodians of this planet protect ourselves and the animals that we share this planet with?
3: I'll tell you one, the earth indeed is not flat, the earth is round. And there, as history, as, as long as man has been, uh, you know, walking the earth, um, there have been those who don't understand uh, the reality in science. And there are problems when, the, you know, one of the things that Terry had mentioned, nothing's worse than being right. Um, let's talk about the ulcer, for example.
2: Well, that's a, that's a pretty good example. The uh, gentleman, uh, an Australian doctor, who made the discovery that ulcers were not caused by what they thought they were caused by, meaning uh, excess stomach acid or, in some cases, out-and-out stress, but uh, that they were erosions that were caused by bacteria. Uh, he was just roundly criticized for for almost a decade by the uh, medical community and the... the, uh, the the folks from the pharmaceutical companies, of course, who produced antacids and so on didn't want any part of this, so they were against him. And believe me, that's a powerful lobby. Uh, eventually, he persevered and won out, but at the expense of his own well-being and health. Uh, it's it's a terrible thing. Being right is awful, especially when you're the first one. Uh, I, I've had it happen in, in my lifetime on a number of occasions, uh, things where I was... Uh, the one to point out emerging uh, ideas, emerging, uh, in some cases, technology and so forth, things that I came up with, Um, the resistance is incredible. I'll give you one quick example. I was at an AZA meeting many, many years ago, and uh, this was a meeting with the Crocodile Advisory Group. And I was taken out of the meeting by two of the folks, uh, senior zoo people, and told that I was setting a terrible example by training crocodilians and that someone was going to get hurt and it was going to be an awful situation and the zoos would be at risk and I'm putting myself in too close a contact with the animals. Um, I was infuriated because I was treated like a child rather than asking me why I did what I did. I wasn't training them so that I could have them jumping through hoops and, uh, you know, barking for treats. I was training them as a management tool. In most cases, the zoos, the only way they could move crocodilians was roping them up, which you can absolutely kill a crocodile by doing that. Um, That, by by the way, was one of the techniques they were using to to get at my animals when they were uh, confiscating them. Uh, One of the veterinarians was quoted as saying, you round them up and rope them like buffalo. Uh, What a horrible thing. And and it shows just rank ignorance of of what crocodilians are and what their sensitivities are. And uh, I was training them for management purposes. I would call a croc, I would make it come over to the corner of the pen and stay there. Well, how much stress was that? None. Crocodilian didn't get stressed. I didn't get stressed. It was a safe situation for me. I could go in, take care of a plumbing problem, come right back out. Uh, It saved me tremendous amounts of time. That's the reason I was training crocodilians. Terry, have you ever been bit? No, that's that's sort of an irony, too. Uh, I went back in that meeting, uh, and as I said, I was uh, beyond myself because of what had happened and the way I had been treated. And I asked one simple question. I said, has anyone in this room never been bitten by a crocodilian? Um, The answer was one other hand other than my own, and that was someone who worked with uh, a few dwarf caimans. Uh, That's a very small species and and certainly one of those that uh, is is quite inoffensive. Uh, I've never been bitten to this day by a crocodilian. I've worked with thousands of them throughout my life, both in the wild and in captivity. Uh, As I'm fond of saying, good looks and great luck uh, will only get you so far, and I don't even have those. So um, it's, It's a matter of tried and true situation. Training of crocodilians was something uh, that I conceptualized, that I worked with, and uh, now, ironically, in every zoo they have training programs for their crocodilians. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you were one of the leaders? I was pretty much the leader in this whole thing. Um, And uh, I I paid quite a price for being there. Uh, Luckily, Flavio Morrissey, a young man from Florida, uh, took the lead on this uh, Learned some of what I was doing. He changes around. He he does things differently than I do. He he has some shortcuts that I don't like to use. But uh, to to his credit, he's one of the people who has been able to get the zoos to understand that training of reptiles and amphibians works perfectly well.
3: Now, let's let's bring up um, you know when you say uh, it's awful to be right and no one likes being wrong. And right now, I think that the group MATIC and the Milwaukee. Uh, criminal court system, Milwaukee Police Department, is dead wrong and has much egg on their face. Um, Terry, can you describe a little MATIC as an organization, what they are? Uh,
2: I wish I knew what they were. Uh, They were created in response to Wisconsin Humane Society, which is a legitimate humane society. It does great work. Uh, The city, at one point, uh, essentially tried to Shanghai some of the funds from them. They're a nonprofit organization. They took uh, exception to that, Um, they they got into um, a a prolonged uh, discussion with the city of Milwaukee regarding that issue, and eventually the result was the the city, uh, as I understand it, essentially saying, okay, we'll we'll form our own thing and we'll stop paying you to go out and collect stray animals and here's our own thing, and it's Milwaukee Area Domestic uh, Animal Control Center. one of the things that's absolutely mystifying is that two of the people, two of the lead people, uh, have affiliations with an anarchist group. Um, this is a facility that uh, claims to be uh, affiliated with HSUS and PETA, and yet it's nothing more than a kill facility. What they do is kill animals at this facility.
3: And that's a private facility. They're not a dot. They're not a dot .org. They're, a they're dot, not
2: a dot .org. They're .com. And if you try to determine what their actual status is, management-wise and ownership-wise, uh, you get into some pretty interesting things. Is it a for-profit group? I couldn't tell you that. Interesting. Um, if it's a dot-com, though, one would think it would have to be
0: well.
2: on some level, in some way. Um, and one of the people from this facility a number of years ago, involving a completely different situation, uh, made a threat to me. And uh Essentially said he was going to take me down. This threat was actually
3: heard by a couple
2: of other people who uh, will at some point in time come forth i'm sure to to witness this
3: Well, the threat has been carried out, and it's very unfortunate and I think that it's even more unfortunate that law enforcement in Milwaukee relied on bad information and relied on bogus uh, bogus reports and allowed ignorance to drive the removal and what I'm calling the holocaust of some of these animals. Terry, can you again, uh, for people who are maybe later tuning in, describe, I know it's difficult, but tell me the losses that were suffered when the properties were seized. Well, I I can't even tell you the losses. Uh,
2: It's worse than difficult, and uh, I had to sit in my attorney's office the other day with tears in my eyes because they described something that was on film regarding the Execution of my dogs, which, as I said, were my family. I don't have children; they were they were my family, and uh, this was a senseless, brutal act. Uh, we have had forensics experts in uh, who were able to prove that those dogs were not attacking these people. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's there's evidence all over the place showing that this was uh, an absolutely horrific horrific attack on these on these poor creatures. What kind of dogs were they? They were Doki eyes, Tibetan temple dogs. Tibetan uh, temple dogs. Right. They, uh, they're one of the oldest breeds of dogs, I've uh, worked with them for years and years and years, they they were quite rare although they've been inbreeding unfortunately in this country in the last few years and uh, they are commonly called Tibetan Mastiffs as well although they the ones that we had were the slightly larger version of the Tibetan Mastiff.
3: So you, do you have any idea why the Milwaukee Police executed your
2: dogs? It's madness. I, I don't have anything beyond that to say. I, I, uh, it, it has crushed me. It has crushed Jane, my associate. Um, we've lost so much. Uh, her, Some of the animals that she had that were simply her pets, animals that she had worked with in her lifetime. Um, ironically, she's charged, as, as I am, with cruelty to African giant pouch rats. Um, interestingly, she holds every known longevity record for captive African pouch rats. Uh, the animals that she had exceeded the known or published longevity of seven years ten months that 's the longest that we can find in any institution although there's an anecdotal report of one of them living nine years um, Nick a little earlier, I showed you something this was the receipt when we purchased those pogras so what year is that
3: okay i'm am I'm, well, uh, in in front of me is a receipt from uh Don't. Okay, the receipt is dated uh, August 24th, 1996. That makes these animals virtually double the greatest known age in captivity.
2: African giant pouch rats go through an endocrine dysfunction toward the end of their lives. Now, we had purchased six of these rats. A couple of them had died in uh, the past year and a half of old age. And this endocrine dysfunction will cause them to lose hair They become like little old men, little old ladies, except in this case they were like 150-year-old men and 150-year-old ladies. Uh, To our knowledge, no one has ever approached these longevity records. If this is mistreating animals, then please explain to me on what level or how. Uh, Once again, a lack of understanding of what these animals need. If these animals are squeaky clean, they die. They have to re-inoculate their gut tracts continually by coprophagia. They eat their own fecal pellets. Uh, You always have to leave some in there with them. Uh, We were criticized for wire caging. Well, the wire caging for these animals works out extremely well because they decorate. They have little paws like raccoons do. They take paper, they shred it into strips, and they decorate and form little cocoons inside their cages to approximate what they would have in the wild. Uh, They're remarkable animals. They're absolutely remarkable creatures. Uh, Jane took very good care of them. Uh, did she feed them every day or leave food in there for them? Absolutely not. If you do that with uh, the African powtrats you risk uh, moldering of that food, and they are prone to fungal infections. So what you do is you feed them four, times, four or five times a week and provide them with sufficient amounts of food that they do just fine. You keep their weight on them, and their weight stays good until they get extremely old. They become thin, and eventually they do
3: fact like all of us pass away. Caller the first caller who was uh calling in from Milwaukee, are you still there? I am. Can you can you tell me a little bit about when you first uh uh saw uh and met some of Terry's animals and the facility, whether did Terry explain some of these things to you? Did you learn some of these things?
1: I've been
0: learning more and more just through this occurrence, uh quite quickly and quite in conversation and, and passing, but just my first recollection is I had a uh current python that i was worried was sick i was always very uh finicky about my animal's health and if they ever showed any signs of anything wrong i really wanted to make sure that they were in better health so I, I actually went to one of terry's properties he looked at my animal found out that it was actually fine i was just overly nervous about it but in in being at terry's um, property he showed me a newly hatched ball python that he had bred and it was Absolutely, I didn't know that I didn't know ball pythons could look that good, I and mean, it was just better than a pet store, better than any other breeder than I'd ever seen. Um, I don't know how Terry was able to do that, but I was. I'm still absolutely shocked at what Terry was able to uh, produce, more than tech, beyond a textbook perfection of uh, captive breeding of the ball python. In my for my opinion, I've been keeping animals for 10 years now, uh, not to the extent of the previous colleagues of Terry and Terry's expertise, but still uh, more than your average person person on the street, I would say.
4: Nick, well, uh, I, I may, I, may I jump in here real quick? Sure. Um, again, I'm a domestic relations attorney, and I deal with law enforcement all the time in, in areas of domestic violence. And just listening to what happened, I will tell you, again, from a media perspective, from... from um, a professional perspective what often happens is a situation presents itself and law enforcement has to answer to the public and they think that the best way to do that and to you know um, even for job security purposes and the media is going to cover this this situation come in get tough on crime you know punish the accused before they're even proven to be guilty uh, that gets the media attention, and then the the particular police department um is applauded for swooping in and saving the day and and as Nick has said, there is so much ignorance and it's really unfortunate uh, you know we have courts, and judges who may have political aspirations and uh, election years, this that, and the other thing um and and unfortunately, people like Terry Cullen become the victims. And, and I will tell you, I applaud you. Um, I, I'm Catholic and Christian, and there's there's obviously a saying in, in the Bible: "A prophet shall have no honor in thine own home or community." Or, uh, and that's it sounds like that's what's happening to you. Um, so I, I support your efforts, and and do hope that uh, the truth is ultimately established, and that that these charges are are lifted.
2: Um I, I thank you for your words. They are uh not just kind, but I think profound. Um that, that is a quote I've heard before and I certainly have never heard it, uh, applied to me, but I'm I'm honored that someone would be that kind to do so. Uh I'm not sure that I deserve it, but I certainly don't deserve what I got. Um I as I said, uh, I have honestly given virtually everything I've ever had to, to conservation and animal work. Uh I've lived a very Uh, I'm not going to say austere lifestyle, but certainly uh, almost a Spartan lifestyle. Uh, The amount of furniture I I have in my home is not a great deal. Uh, Most of it is bookcases. And uh, people who have seen me in anything other than my my overalls and my denim jacket are few and far between. Uh, Another rather telling thing that happened, another anecdote I think that really tells a big story about where things are with some of the animal professionals these days, as opposed to where they should be, is I was at a particular meeting and I listened to these animal professionals arguing back and forth for the better part of an hour over something that was just simply minutiae. It it was senseless. And I finally stood up, I'd seen this happen time and time and time again, I was getting increasingly frustrated, and I finally stood up and said, wasn't this really originally supposed to be about the animals? Isn't it all supposed to be about the animals? I was escorted from the room at that point. Um, what's wrong?
3: You know what? What is wrong? What have? What
2: have we done? What have we become?
3: It's it's a it's a very difficult situation here, and I see a tremendous loss to the scientific and the conservation community if Terry Cullen is not vindicated publicly and in the courts of everything that has been accused of him. Again, Terry Cullen has maintained his innocence.
2: Absolutely. I, I'm innocent of all charges, but until the court of law determines this, uh, I'm virtually bankrupt. Uh, I have uh, debts with attorneys that are, for me at least, like the, the debts of a small country, and uh, never having been in a situation like this, my uh, my understanding of the legal system uh, I have to tell you, it has been uh, one that I have rapidly uh, learned and I'm not very fond of. I, uh, I, I'm i hoping that uh, a fair judge will, will be uh, open to listening to the truth as opposed to some of the constructs. Uh, this has not been a, a prosecution, it's been a persecution. And I know that someone from the city has used the same phrase. I wasn't even aware of it until the other day, but... Um, hopefully i don't get equated with that individual but uh... it really has been simply a persecution i uh... i, I worry about my my life on a daily basis Um there was a, enough harassment subsequent to the initial break-ins that uh... i, I worry every day that i'm going to get hit from behind um, and and never get up again
3: my my closing thoughts are that we have precious time between now and the implementation of everything going through the criminal court system and procedure in Milwaukee County and we are going to do everything that we can to contact people not only here in Illinois and neighboring states but as well as internationally to contact the people and the lives who have been benefited by Terry Cullen and his lifelong efforts. We are going to tirelessly contact and attempt to work with every uh, animal rights and conservation group that we can find and offer them the opportunity to help correct this wrong. Uh, Our our goal is to act diplomatically in educating people who have taken, you know, a swallow of the pill uh, that was given to them and proffered by, the the media and uh, the the prosecution in this matter and again um, we're very concerned that those out there who do read improper accounts in the media are just going to take things for face value and oftentimes, people don't give in any further so um, we want to give you uh, an address where people can write in for info response and that's my address here Um, anyone who is able to help us, please contact me, Nick Augustine, at ALRPRA, Incorporated. Address is 35 East Wacker Drive, 9th floor, Chicago, Illinois, 60601. My email address, I can be contacted, and believe me, I do respond almost immediately, almost around the clock, is Nick, N-I-C-K, at ALRPRA.com. So, again, 35 East Wacker Drive, 9th floor, Chicago, Illinois, 60601, N-I-C-K, Nick at ALR, The telephone number at our offices is area code 312-854-7149. Again, 312-854-7149. Um, of course, anyone who does call or is offers to help certainly uh, may remain confidential. We need to spread Uh, We have a a tremendous opportunity through social media and the technology available to us in this day and age to widely share uh, information in the defense uh, of Terry Cullen and in the betterment of the scientific community and those future generations who can certainly benefit from uh, the research efforts and the education efforts started by Terry Cullen and the other individuals who have have gone forward. Um, Terry, do you have any final comments before we end today? Well, I
2: uh, I worked pro bono for years and years, uh, charged them nothing for numerous wildlife organizations in Wisconsin, uh, and uh, I was I, I never knew what my return rate was, That's, that means animals that were brought to me in, in problematical condition and that I would return them either to have uh, these organizations release them back into the wild or if they were not in a condition that they could be released, uh, get them to uh, educational organizations or nature centers. And uh, recently I was I was told that my return rate was somewhere between 88 and 91% on these animals as long as they were alive when they were brought to me. Um, I didn't realize, first of all, that it was, it was quite that high. But I, I looked at what was average, and uh, average was somewhere between 24 and 28 percent. So, doing this work, um, I, I guess at, a, at sort of a, a late stage, I'm finding out I was, I was at least somewhat successful in achieving what I wanted to achieve. But the fact that I, I did this at my own expense, I charged these centers nothing, and it, not ever, uh, worked tirelessly, I think it would be not a bad word. I, I skipped sleep a lot of times to, to do what I needed to do. For me, it wasn't a 9-to-5 zoo job. Uh, you have to understand that. Uh, in many cases, zoo jobs are 9-to-5, and uh, they're union in many cases. Um, th- even the people who want to can't be there after a certain hour. Uh, if you're truly involved with animals or working with ours, it, animals, it has to be a 24-7 thing. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, please take care of our planet.
3: Thank you again for everyone who called in today and uh, offered your comments. I appreciate it so much, and please do be in touch. Again, the contact information, nick at alrpra.com, 35 East Wacker Drive, 9th floor, Chicago, Illinois. Please feel free to submit your statements. We will be building a, a website and blog. Uh, to aggregate the statements of supporters of Terry Cullen and we appreciate uh, anyone who can help us with those efforts. So, again, thank you to all our callers for listening. Um, If you found this show on social media, please feel free to, and you can find the link. Uh, to the program on ALRPRA uh, on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash ALRPRA. Um, Also by on Facebook searching for Law Talk Radio, that's our Law Talk Radio page. You can also find it at ALRPRA.com. This link is something that we want, the permanent link after this broadcast is completed today, is a link that can be shared by by many out there in the field. So we do appreciate your efforts at sharing those, and um, we thank Terry for being here today. And as we, as we go through the process, uh, we will bring periodic updates um, to the case and share more of the people who are, are supporting a, a Terry Cullen and his research and conservation efforts. Um, actually, well, before we uh, sign off, we want to offer some uh, resources. Terry, do you have any resources you want to list? Well, I
2: don't know if resource is the right word. Sure. But every time that I, I speak to people, I offer a reading list that I think is extremely important in this day and age to get people back to realizing how far we have gone from center and to try to get correct thinking back in what we're doing. The first book that I re- would like to recommend is something called The Cult of the Amateur. It's by Andrew Keen. That's K-E-E-N. Uh, it's a very, very interesting book and the worst part about the book is that virtually everything he predicted has come true. Uh, it has to do with how the internet has affected our lives and uh, has has definitely played a part in the dumbing down of America. Next one is uh, by a Chicago author, it's called Junk Science. It's by uh, Professor um, Dan Agin, A-G-I-N. So much of what goes on in this day and age that is touted as the right thing or science really is junk science and it's more designed to achieve an agenda than it is to put the truth out there uh it's a book that has not made a lot of friends because mr Agin or professor Agin has uh, uh been very direct about uh, his his uh his thoughts on this and uh, also his research has been incredible um finally there's a book that's called uh lies i'm i'm sorry i'm reaching here it's Damned lies and statistics it's by joel best b e s t uh he also published another book called More Damned Lies and Statistics, and it shows you how the truth can be manipulated, uh, both in the media and otherwise. And it's so often, sometimes it's not even purposeful, but it's so often manipulated to achieve certain agendas. Uh, in this day and age, few people are schooled in logic and statistics for the sake of truth. Thank you, everyone.
3: And thank you, Terry, again, and thank you again to our callers. Again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney, guests, and callers does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney or professional in your area. All callers remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. The Law Talk Radio programs are brought to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences tips, tools, and practitioner information that can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Pra Incorporated, and we thank you for your time.